little Van Morrison to start your Monday morning. Caravan. If you haven't seen the movie The Last Waltz, shot by Martin Scorsese, check it out. Unbelievable. Uh, directed concert. Today's episode of the High Button Podcast brought to you by none other than ProLineStadium.com, Atlantic Canada's home field for great sports betting. Baseball is back. Swing into the baseball season with this new ProLine offer. From March 27th all the way to April 16th, you can earn up to $150 in fantasy tokens. That's correct. When you spend $20 or more on ProLine or Stadium Bets wager, this includes at least one baseball event at ProLineStadium.com, you will receive a $10 token that can be used on fantasy for any sport. A total of five tokens can be earned each week and must be used by June 30th, 2023. Bet on ProLine all season long at ProLineStadium.com or download the ALC app. Must be 19 years of age or older. Please play responsibly. When you talk about one of those magical weekends over uh, 365 days of the year and you can pick out a couple, this past weekend to me was one of them. Weather was great. I actually got to spend time with family and friends. I wasn't in a rink. Um, I actually renovated my house that I'm currently living in last summer. And when you're reno, when you're you're going through the renovations, you always look forward to something when the renovations are done. And hosting was always something that I looked forward to. And I, up until this past weekend, I've been so busy. I haven't been able to host anyone uh, for a dinner or a drink or anything. So this past weekend, I was able to have my family over uh, for a brunch, and that was unbelievable. Me and the fiance went downtown. Got some ice cream, took a walk. It was just one of those weekends where you could sit back and relax and enjoy the uh, the fruits of your labor, I guess. So it was it was great to experience that. And also, spring was in the air. It's still in the air this morning as I do this intro and I look outside. Uh, spring is in the air, so that just gets everyone's mood up in general. Everyone's saying, hey, how are you? Hey, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yada, yada. Just complete strangers. So I, I, I like that. Summer's, summer's coming. A little spring cleaning maybe this week. Um, but overall, just one of those weekends you don't forget, uh, in the city of Halifax and at least in my head, it was, it was a great weekend. I hope everyone out there listening had one of those uh, special weekends as well. Today on the high button podcast, we have a very special individual, Paul Hollingsworth. Paul, I have seen on TV since before I can remember, I've seen him on uh, Sportsnet. He he's covered multiple World Series, Stanley Cup playoffs, Super Bowls. He's on Sports Center every now and then up in Toronto. He is just a a figure that you want to look up to in the media world. Not even sports media, just media in general. In this business, I find longevity to be a challenge. There's so many people that want a position within this company. So it's very competitive. And if you're able to stay within the media business, sports media business, um, for a long period of time, like Paul has, I have a tremendous amount of respect for that because one, it's a lot of work. There's always someone coming for your job. And at the same time, you have to have an actual passion in it. Because if you're on TV and you're kind of going through the motions or whatever it is, people are able to pick that up and your boss is able to pick that up and other people can pick that up if you don't actually care about what you're talking about, I find at least. Um, And Paul has never come across as that guy that's just there for the paycheck. He truly cares about his craft and he truly cares about uh, the, the people that are viewing him, I think, on TV. I've met him a couple times great guy he's actually the owner um of the u16 of voyageurs who are actually hosting provincials coming up this week that we are going to be doing we'll give you a little bit more information on that as we go um and we're really looking forward to this podcast we're really looking forward to this week we're happy to have paul hollingsworth on it's going to be a great episode i hope you enjoy i also hope you enjoy your week monday morning all right here we go paul hollingsworth high button sports you know what comes next Oh, Mr. Paul Hollingsworth, we are going. Welcome, sir. How are you? Good to see you. Thank you for having me. This is, uh, this is, you asked me once before to come on and I don't know what happened. You get a busy summertime schedule, but 
I'm thrilled to be here. This is cool. Really um, cool. I, I, I admire people that have a, a long career in media, sports media, whatever it is, because it's something that I'm trying to mimic and copy mm-hmm. and, and get after. So to have you sitting across from me for the next hour so I can pick your brain, I'm, awesome. I'm really, I'm honored. So thank you for coming. Appreciate it's my, it. It's my pleasure and right back at you. I'm, I'm pleased to be here. Where, where did you grow up? Were you from, you from here? Yeah, You're... smack dab, uh, Peninsula, Halifax. I grew up on Lawrence Street, um, two streets away from St. Pat's High School. Went to Oxford School growing up, St. Pat's High School, St. Mary's. A little Univers- bit closer to the oh, sorry, yeah, no, University of um, St. Mary's University, King's College, and stayed. I, I never left, never left. It's interesting how some people have that same perspective but come from Ontario and stay. They just love it here, and then yeah. they end up staying and creating a career. For sure. And I was really, I was dug in. I'm a bit of a homeboy. I never wanted to leave. A uh, great friendship circle, uh, a family with deep roots, uh, true Nova Scotian roots. And, and I always tell people, this might sound kind of corny, but there's that movie, uh, A River Runs Through It, and Craig Schiffer is talking to his brother, Brad Pitt. They're from Montana. And Craig Schiffer says to Brad Pitt, why don't you come live with me in Chicago? And he says, no, brother, I'm from Montana. I'm staying in Montana. I'm staying in Nova Scotia. I've always been a Nova Scotia guy. Even for six or seven years when I was a full-time at TSN, I lived here and they were flying me back and forth. Wow. And so I didn't have to, on their dime, and I got to stay here. So people were saying to me, oh, you moved to Toronto. Welcome back. I never left. I still lived in Dartmouth the whole time. Wow. Uh, did you consider that a luxury or did you consider that extra work having to go back and forth? It was a hard thing. Yeah. I mean, it was great that they paid for it. I mean, they would they would fly me, rent me a car, put me in a hotel, you know, give me food money. So I was blessed to have that. But it was exhausting. Like there was one year I flew 279 times inside of 12 months. No exaggeration. There was one year... Um, where I, no, sorry, I stayed in 279 hotel rooms and I flew about 139 times, uh, which is great for those elite status points when you travel, <laughs> but it was, it was almost exhausting and, and it wasn't sustainable. Great way to make a living, got to see the world cover some really cool things, but it was clinically exhausting. What, where did the first love come for you with, with media, being in front of a camera and being comfortable? What, where, where did it come from? How young were you? Uh, very young. My dad was a journalist. My dad was the managing editor of the Daily News, no the way. old Daily News newspaper. He was a radio sports uh, anchor for CHNS growing up. Uh, so I grew up in a media family. My, my grandfather was a newspaper man working in the press room, a linotype operator. So I had the media thing all around me. And I always joke, it was kind of like the family business. I, and I don't mean that, that I felt entitled or it was automatically going to happen, but it was all around me. So I remember being five years old with my father in the press box, watching the Nova Scotia Voyageurs play. I remember coming home on a Thursday afternoon and my dad says, get ready. The Nova Scotia Voyageurs are playing the New Brunswick Hawks tonight in Moncton at seven o'clock. We're going. And we'd zip off to Moncton. So I lived in a world where by the time I was 10 years old, I had seen the Maine Mariners play AHL hockey in Portland, Maine. Uh, By the time I was 12, I'd been to the Hershey Park Arena to watch an AHL game. By the time I was 15, I'd probably been to... Uh, 75 or 100 Montreal Expos games. So, and maybe 15 Red Sox games or to maybe 10 Red Sox games. The, po- the point is, I was all around it. And so when it came time to make decisions in my education, in my professional life, I always had a comfort zone there. I just, I loved the vibe. I, I loved the part of it. And I thought maybe I have some abilities that I can hone and work on. And it worked out okay. That's extremely lucky because most kids coming up struggle with a career path. Yeah. That's extremely lucky. Well, I tell people this, um, have a plan A. I tell young people this, have a plan A, have a plan B, have a plan C, but never let someone tell you you can't do something. Like when I, I tell you, man, when I was, when I was in grade 12, I used to go in the bathroom, true story, and stare in the mirror and pretend I was anchoring Sports Desk. Sports Center was called Sports Desk back then. <laughs> and 15 years later, I was anchoring Sports Center. Now, that didn't just happen. It took a lot of luck. It took people believing in me. It took a lot of hard work. But I was mission-focused. Like, I, I had a dream, and I protected it, and I hung on to it. And I think that's a good thing. I think hanging on to it and going for it is not a bad thing. Some people, they get dissuaded early. They get discouraged early. They get told that they can't do something. Uh, ignore those voices. I tell young people all the time, if you want something, go get it. And just because you're from Nova Scotia and not from a huge media market does not mean you can't go do it. 
And, and I think it's, I'd like to think I prove that's true, but there are people all around us that can prove it's true as well. Was there a trick in your head that you used to make yourself calmer on the bigger markets? When you go up to Toronto and you're in front of a national camera, mm-hmm. was there a trick that you used in your head to, to stay calm and be yourself? It's a good question. I always, um, like, I think naturally speaking, I'm a chill guy. Like, I, I think when I'm on air, I have an ability to bring my, my heart rate down a little bit and at least pretend that I belong there. And so I used to deploy that mechanism when I was young. So in general, some people are real stress buckets. Some people get really intense and nervous in the moment. I was never that guy. So that's a good skill set to ha- good skill set to have. I think though the overarch was I almost pretended like I was an actor on a stage, pretending he had the confidence and the abilities and the skill set to do those things because when I was very young, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was very young I knew I had to improve, but I was still getting opportunities that if I didn't do well in that moment, I'd make a fool of myself on national TV or in front of a big audience. So I just sort of pretended I was somebody else, if you if that makes sense. No, sort I of get ste- it. Sort of step outside that little nervous self you had and try to pretend that you're, no, this, this, is, this is what I can do. I, I'm totally into this. I can do this. I can be this person. And then you deploy that mechanism. Was there anyone outside of your father that you may, maybe took from? Like, oh, I like that guy's demeanor. I like how he approached that topic. I like how something like that. Was there like personality traits that you liked from other individuals that you used in your own? A- absolutely. Um, <clears throat> uh, Pat Honley locally. Yes. Uh, Pat Honley was my dad's best friend. No way. Very close to my family growing up. I'm told the night that I was born... Uh, Pat Conley and his wife babysat my siblings because my mother had to go to the hospital. That's how close our families were. He was a big person in my life. He taught me how to, along with my dad and my mother, taught me how to behave in a public way, how to be a good person, to try to be a good pro, to try to handle these moments, the work you need to put into it to get outcomes. So I grew up with these people around me. Um, And then when I got to these stages you know, Rod Smith from TSN, Rod Black. Uh, these guys are some of my best friends in television. You hang out, you hang out with them, you cling on to them, and you absorb everything they have. When you work in the TSN newsroom and you look across the, the newsroom and you see Rod Smith there, it's time to learn. And that's, I'm 53 years old and I still anchor Sports Center. And whenever I'm around a guy like that, I try to watch his best practices. Uh, Pierre McGuire, another good friend of mine. You know, Pierre works 15 hours a day, sometimes 18 hours a day. The passion meter never turns off. And I've hung out with him on road trips for 10, eight day, eight, 10 days. And that guy doesn't turn the off button ever. And if you don't take advantage to learn from that, mm. then you're missing a great opportunity. And he's, again, he's a good friend of mine to this day. We keep in touch. And he's a guy that, you know, you understand the notion of professionalism and you have to really kill it every single day. Wow. That almost ups your game being around those people. Without question. Without question. It's infectious. Yeah. I remember one time, Pierre Maguire, um, I love the story. We were covering, I think, the 2007 NHL playoffs. It was Buffalo, Philadelphia, first round or second round. Forgive me. It was a long time ago. All good. And he said, let's meet at 8 o'clock in the morning to be in the cab to go to the rink for morning skate. So I go down the hotel and I jump in the cab and it's 7.59. And he's being kind of quiet. Not really being overly friendly, not being rude, but I could tell something was wrong. And we get to the rink and he says, um, uh, what's going on? And I said, well, we're going nothing. He said, well, I said eight o'clock. I said, well, I was there by eight o'clock. And he said, no, no, no. Gordy, how time? 10 minutes early for everything. So I had let him down by being on time. I had to be early. I never forgot that. And he, was, he wasn't being mean. He wasn't being a jerk. He wasn't trying to embarrass me. He was bringing me into his world where expectations and best practices are the theme of every day. And 10 minutes early for everything. I never forgot that. And like You were here 10 minutes early. All, yeah. all the time. I, I, and I think I was parked outside 15 minutes before that or 10 minutes before that. I just, that's me. And it haunts me. And if I'm not, if I'm not 10 or 15 minutes early... I get stressed. That's when I get stressed because I feel like going back to that conversation with Pierre, a huge mentor in my career, that I'm letting people down if I'm not way early to showcase my keenness, my eagerness, my energy, and my enthusiasm for the moment. That's awesome. Yeah. I love to hear that. A guy in your position that never takes the moment for granted because you're a vet. You, you've yeah. been in this industry for a while, but to this day, you said you're still hungry and you're still every, making sure you're a professional. And every day I great. feel like somebody's going to tap me on the shoulder 
and say, hey, son, your time is up. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't, and I guess that's a long way of saying I'm not entitled. And I think that's a good quality to carry in this business. Don't be entitled, work for it every day. And when the, when the whistle blows and you drop the shovel at the end of your career, you can look back and say you did it the right way. And I hope I did it the right way. I, yeah, yeah, well said. Well, when it comes to building relationships and, you, you know, you travel to uh, the Super Bowl, the yeah. World Series, and you're, you're with some American media, where you're with media all over sure. the world. What's your, I don't want to say goal, but what's your demeanor going into these situations when you're in huge huge atmospheres to to maybe get a job at cnn is it to like what's your what's your goal going to these big events i guess is my question i never tried to get a job at a big network i did get a couple of phone calls for auditions in the u.s over the years long long time ago nothing nothing came of them but people would notice my work Mm. but in those moments i always wanted to be comfortable in the pack so if we were at um the 2010 super bowl and Drew Brees comes out, and all the media of the world are there, I'd try to get the first question. And I'd make sure that question was good. Or at least not awful. Because there's, <laughs> nothing, wrong, there's nothing worse than asking a bad question. And so I always wanted to get the first question and have a good question. I remember uh, the Montreal Canadiens were playing the Tampa Bay Lightning, I think in 2015. The Lightning get off to a 3-0 series lead in the second round. Montreal came back and won game four. And then they won game five in overtime. So it was like, ooh, now it's 3-2. It's getting close. And we get downstairs in the media room at the Bell Center. And all the American media were there. All the French and English media were there. And I was there as the secondary reporter for TSN. John Liu was the primary reporter. And I said, you know what? I'm doing it. And so John Cooper walks in. First question. And I got, <laughs> and, and the whole room kind of turns around and looks at me because I probably wasn't entitled to the first question. Yeah. Given my role in that universe... I didn't care. I wasn't being smug or arrogant. I wanted to press the moment. And I wanted to, you know, growing up in Canada, watching original six franchises, knowing that at that time I might be seeing a historic series unfold. I wanted to be a part of it. I'm asking the first question. I think it was a good question. I forget what I, forget what I asked, but he, but he answered it. But I thought it was a bit of a bold move on my part. But I always tried to ask the first question and, uh, and get into it. I remember one time I was at Patriots. If you go, if you cover the New England Patriots, you don't get to cover them on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. You go down to media day on Wednesday. That's when they let you in. So I would fly down. I did the Patriots practice sessions quite a few times, like probably 10 or 15 times. I get on the six o'clock flight in the morning, fly to Boston, get my rental car, drive out to Foxborough, meet a local camera person there that they have a contract for me. Mm. And we do the interviews. And one night, I forget what happened, what the score was, but New England had the brakes blown off them on a Monday night football game. And so Bill Belichick was every answer he said, "We're on to Cincinnati. We're on to Cincinnati." And if you, I remember yeah, that, yeah, well, that, I was the you first, were, I was the, I'm I'm the on to Cincinnati guy now. <laughs> I wasn't the only one. So I I was um I was driving home um from some event in Boston about a month or two later, and the local ESPN radio station had this commercial with sound bites of Bill Belichick, and it was me and him going back and forth. I would say, but about the game and the team and the setbacks were on Cincinnati. I was asking, I was asking him what I thought were good questions, and he kept saying to me, "We're on to Cincinnati." And I loved the moment because I was in the action just for a moment. I yeah. loved that. I loved that everyone in the room was kind of intimidated by him because he's an intimidating guy. I was flown in for a day. I didn't care. I love the guy. I think he's got a fascinating career, but I'm getting my questions in. And I was, I was one of the more vocal people in that press conference that day, just because I wanted to appreciate the moment, be a part of the moment, be a part of the action. And it was so cool. I, I, I Google it on YouTube sometimes it, that, that day means so much to me. It's, it's so much fun. So much fun. Those moments are yeah. awesome in sports media. Yeah, Absolutely. That's, sure. that's close to like practice. Yeah. yeah. Like that's it's up there. Sa- same sort of thing. Same sort of thing. Playoffs. Like yeah. that's up there. And when I was a kid, man, I'm just like you. I, I, I love this stuff. Like I wanted to, when I was 10 years old, I daydreamed about that. So here I am at Foxborough, Massachusetts, um, interviewing the head coach of the Patriots, the most iconic coach in the world. And he's smack talking me in a scrum. I love it. It was great. It was, it was really, really fun. It was really fun. And those are the things I'll look back on for two reasons. A, the sound bites are memorable, but B, it was an example of me pushing myself out of my comfort zone and getting right in there with probably 120 members of the media who had no idea who I was. Wow. 
Yeah. Do you find it harder these days to keep pushing yourself and finding new challenges? You've had so many experiences mm-hmm. in your life with sports media, media in general. Do you find it harder to find challenges now? I, I don't think so. I do. I have a bit of a mixed career now. So I'm, I'm back at CTV full time. Um, I'm a reporter slash anchor for them. I do all kinds of stories, news, sports, you name it. But I go to TSN about 20 weekends a year to Anchor Sports Center. So I keep my finger in the bowl. As I mentioned, I'm 53 years old. I'm not on the downward slide. I'm not on the, you know, the, the dark side of the moon. I'm not about to retire. But I went to 14 World Series. Do I need to go to 15? Yeah. I've covered probably 100 NHL playoff games. Do I need to cover 101? Like I'm, I'm more like, what are my community um, contributions I can make? Uh, my kids are 16 and 20. They certainly, along with my wife, they need us in a very active, hands-on role now to help guide them through these critical phases of their lives. They're going to be great in life, but I can't be living in a hotel room in Toronto hoping that they're great in life. Um, so I've kind of recalibrated things a little bit, changed my priorities. But when the phone rings from TSN and they say, go fly to this place and cover something, I'm there. I did some play-by-play for them before Christmas, so I, I still keep my finger in that bowl, but not to the extent from a travel standpoint as it used to be. Nice. Yeah. Do you find your sons maybe coming after your career path or not? I, I don't think so. Um, I've I've stressed that they don't. Really? Why I is don't, that? So I have a son, I have a son and a daughter. Oh, sorry, and, my yeah, mistake. No, it's cool. I have a son and a daughter. I don't want them to have the instability of the career because it is... I'm not saying it's the same as trying to be an actor or the same as trying to be a professional athlete because those careers are even harder, but the percentile of success, you really need to thread the needle and get in there. Now, things have changed a bit in this, this, um, this iteration of media because digital platforms like this mm-hmm. are really coming up. So there are really creative ways for people like yourself to make a living, to make a mark, to have a big profile in the community, and you do, doing it in a way that was not the way I did it. So my children could benefit from that and take advantage of that. And having me as their dad wouldn't hurt them or slow them down. But I want them to be an English teacher or an engineer or an accountant or something. I'd like to see them do a path that's not like mine for a couple of reasons. But I think also in the back of my mind, I wouldn't want them to crack into a career that I had and have them compared to me. Mm. I wouldn't want somebody locally to say, oh, that's Paul's son or that's Paul's daughter, as opposed to having their own identity. All that to be said. It's out of my control. They may choose this path, but I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, well said. Yeah, that's good advice. Did you ever have a family member named Al Hollingsworth who was a manager of the Halifax Lions back in like the 60s? That's my dad. Al Hollingsworth? Yep. So he's in in several sports halls of fame. Well, that's where I saw him at the BMO. Jeff was with me. He's on the plaque. Yeah. So he's in the Nova Scotia Sport Hall of Fame. He's in the Maritime Sports Hall of Fame. He's in the Windsor, Nova Scotia Heritage Hockey Sports Hall of Fame. And I believe he's in two other halls of fame as team members, or he was coaches. So he, he was. Um, so he was more than a media personality. Yeah. He was like involved in teams. Huge, huge sports. He was okay. head, he was head coach of the Halifax Lions back in the 1970s. Okay. He was a junior A head coach, a junior B head coach. He was the commissioner of the Maritime Junior A League for years. At one time. He was the commissioner of the Junior A League and the president of the Junior B League at the same time. <laughs> he had amaz- an amazing career. So he And he's still alive. He's 87 years old. Oh, yeah. Uh, an amazing mark. And so growing up, his son brought, you know, he was always your Alfie son. Yeah. And that's a good thing. I'm proud of that. But going back to that conversation about my two children, it's harder to create your own identity when you have a locally well-known father, there's no question. But he's he's had an amazing career, an amazing mark. He's done a lot of things. When you walk into like the form today, does it and you smell it? Does it bring it back to when you were a kid? Hundred percent. Does it? Man, okay. Yeah. I, you know what, yeah. man? That's the best question you've asked me today because <laughs> I'm driving down Windsor Street. I'll pull into the form if I have 15 minutes. I swear to God, I'll walk in and just take a look around the place. The place is a church. It's yeah. a museum. Yeah. And it's a backdrop of my childhood. Yeah. And the way the concrete forms are, it hasn't changed. Yeah. The seats are a different color from when I was a kid. The lighting's improved. You can't smoke in there anymore. So there's, yeah. no, there's, no, there's, no, there's, no, there's no cigarette smoke uh, hanging over the ceiling. But the building, the vista when you walk in is pretty much the same. And I, I remember watching midget AAA games there in the late 1970s. Uh, wow. Bill Doherty coaching the Halifax McDonald's. I remember watching the Halifax Lions as a junior A team there. I remember watching ice capades, wrestling on Wednesday nights. Like, I love the form. That's and great. This is, in my journalism career, sometimes I have to cover the story of 
what is the city going to do with the form when it comes to fixing it up, renovating it, and making it a sustainable property? That's a serious conversation to have. But the fanboy in me wants that building to stay untouched for the next 200 years. I love the form. It is a special, special place to me personally, to my family, and to the community. Agreed. It's yeah. awesome. Nothing like it. Yeah. It's a, I like you said, it's a church. Yeah. Yeah. It's a church. You go there, you feel at home. It is wicked. Wicked, wicked building. And, uh, I was there. Quebec Nordiques played the Boston um, Bruins in an exhibition game, preseason game, I think 1990. I might be off on that. They packed more than 8,000 people in there that night. They broke all kinds of fire codes. They must have. I, I'm, not, I'm not accusing them of breaking fire codes, but there's no way there were only 5,600 people in that building that night. <laughs> it was unbelievable, unbelievable. In the 90s. In the 90s. I was there with my dad. Now, I remember this moment like you remember a photograph in an album or a postcard because it's such a long time ago. But the Nova Scotia Voyageurs, they won their last Calder Cup. Their last Calder Cup or their second last Calder Cup, 76-77. They beat the Rochester Americans four games to one, but they won game five in overtime at the Forum. And I was there that night. I remember, you know, foggy memories of the crowd and the noise and the celebration. So I'd love to tell you I have great vivid memories of it. I don't, but I still remember it. And to be there for that's a pretty historic moment. Is it true that you own the Voyager's logo? Like you bought it? Yeah. So what I did was I went to, um, so my, the Dartmouth, Dar Darren Kosser, who used to be the executive director of Hockey Nova Scotia, was launching the old, the minor midget, which is called U16 AAA now. And he asked me, would I, would I consider running a team? I said, sure. And I was laying in bed one night. I was like, what do I call this team? I go, the Voyager's. So I, I called up some people through the Montreal Canadiens and said, is there any proprietorial thing with this logo? No, we this logo's dormant. I went through the, um, the trademark process in Canada to see if anyone owned the logo and it had gone dormant. So I paid a very minimal fee and I secured it. So all that means, look, I mean, if you started a gentleman's hockey team and you wanted to put the logo on your jersey, I don't care. <laughs> that logo is probably used by many teams to this day. But if I ever wanted to monetize it, have a clothing line or something, which I don't think I'll ever do, <laughs> okay. it just, it's just something that I, I, wanted to, I wanted to have it. And some people were asking me, are you allowed to use that logo? Well, now I can say, yes, I can yeah. use that logo. It's mine. And I, I don't even know where I put the paperwork to it. I don't, I don't think anybody cares. But it's uh, technically, I, I, own the, I don't own the name because the name Voyagers is used all over the place. Yeah. But that actual logo is... Um, it's my logo. It's well, yeah, cool. your own history now yeah. is kind of what you look, yeah. you know, it's, cool. it's, it's in the jerseys are great too. The yeah. colors, the red, the white, the yeah. blue, that's a classic it's sports a, jersey. It's a reflection of my childhood. Yes, like there if, you go. If you're going to run a team and you want to make it something you believe in, why not connect back to the stuff you love the most? Mm. And for me, the Voyagers were my team growing up. So to have a midget team, a U16 team, and call them the Voyagers after my childhood team, Pretty cool, man. Pretty, cool. Pretty when, cool. When did you put the bid in to host this uh, coming up this weekend? The provincials. Yes. That was uh, back just before Christmas, just for, just for the World Juniors. Okay. And uh, pretty simple bid. We It's at RBC in Dartmouth. And I just lined it all up, you know, secured the ice time, secured all the procedural things you need to have for provincials. And I got the email in January saying we're hosting the tournament. So we, we automatically get to go. We finished second in the league, so we probably would have wound up there anyway. But we get the bye to go by, um, by finishing second, and we would have been there anyway as a host team. So it starts Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Easter weekend. We're pumped up. It's going to be great. Is the team still running on adrenaline after winning the Ice Jam? I think so. That was a pivotal thing. That was a big deal, man. That was a big, hairy deal for we us. Know, that, we was, that was that was I know, And you guys did a great job. We have been good, but not great for the past six years. And that's not to disrespect any of our previous teams. We're always good. We're always competitive. We're always knocking in the door. But we haven't done a lot of winning. Like we haven't hosted. We won a tournament our very first year. And I think the, you know, the tradition we've set in with our team has been mostly third, fourth, fifth place. We'll be fourth place, four points out of second place and put on a good showing in the playoffs, but not win anything to win that ice jam. I was sick with COVID. I just was feeling better. I got back to the rink and I watched them win. And it was like Peter Pan having the pixie dust sprinkled on me. I was so happy. And I was so happy for those boys. They're such a good group of kids. Our coaching staff, we have a young coaching staff, great bunch of guys, a great bunch of players. A lot of those players probably belong in major midget, but there's only so many seats at the table. So a lot of them, a lot of them get siloed to the minor midget. To, I call the minor midget to the yeah. U16 AAA league. And to have them have that moment was fantastic. And, you know, I had this sort of 
out of body experience when I was at the rink, we, the clock was ticking down and I was standing next to the glass and I could hear the parents from our parent group and they were muttering out loud the enthusiasm, the excitement, the, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're going to win dialogue coming out of them. It was great because you think of it, all those moms and dads, you know, driving your kids to practice six o'clock in the morning at the Shearwater Arena or Coal Harbor Place or the old Bowls Arena. And, you know, Dartmouth teams are competitive, but Dartmouth teams don't always win. That's just a, that's just a fact. They, they do win sometimes, but not a lot. And so for a lot of those moms and dads and those kids, that might have been to that point, the first winning, truly winning moment they had. That wasn't lost to me at all because... For me, it was my first winning moment. For oh, all, was it? For all my kids' minor hockey, for all that stuff. I, I, I don't recall. Wow. I recall maybe winning like the the Civic Division at the Sedma Hockey Tournament. You know, That's a big deal. The, I the, won yeah, that. That, yeah. was a big, that was a big deal. <laughs> so I remember those kind of moments. But the Ice Jam's a big deal. Absolutely. Like that was a big signature moment. Big crowd, big vibe, big celebration. The, it was just, I, I felt so blessed to be a part of it. I just, I, I, I get giddy talking about it. It's still so cool. Yeah, it's, it's a so sense cool. of accomplishment. Yeah. Absolutely. You put your work yeah. in and then it rewards you. So, you yeah. know, you're, you, it pays off. For sure. And that was hopefully the opening chapter of winning Provincials. I don't want to talk smack. I don't want to sound like we're being cocky. We have a good team. We have momentum. We have directionality. We, we're developing good players. Our coaching staff is excellent. We have a great, talented crew uh, from the players on up to the coaches. And I just got a good feeling that we have a good shot to have another championship win this weekend if we do things the right way, play the right way. And to use that term I used earlier, stay mission-focused. Like, just keep the, the keep your foot on the gas pedal and four more days, win a championship, and have a moment you'll remember for the rest of your life. It's the best time of year. Yeah. It's the best time of year, just for sports. Yeah. I just, the best. Baseball's back. Playoffs are here. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just a great time of year. You know, fi- Final Four happening. Women's Final, yeah. women's Final Four had TV ratings better than NBA. Did it? It's amazing to me. Like, it is. But this is the sweet spot for sports. Everybody's yeah. watching. Yeah. Everybody's watching. You have, I mean, within, like, five days, well, within ten days, you have... Opening, well, take it further. Within two week period, going ahead, we'll have opening day for baseball, men's and women's NCAA Final Four, local provincials, Stanley Cup playoffs starting, and the Masters is coming up. Everything's happening this time of the year. The sun is shining, the, the weather's turning. Like, I love this time of the year because, from a local standpoint and from a national, international standpoint, there are so many things happening and it makes you get excited and it makes you realize that summer is also coming as well. 100% yeah, summer. Ma- sure. Golf, Masters, yeah. going to be great. That's amazing. Can't, I saw Tiger warming up this yeah. morning. Yeah, it's, my it's, coffee. It is, it is so cool. Now, fr- from your standpoint, uh, this high button thing is really growing for you. Was this. Um, how did this idea, I don't mean to ask you questions, no, but no, I'm, I'm really it. curious about this because you've done a masterful job here, you and your team. I mean, this is making, this is making waves. You made a name for yourself, that 21st century expression, you gr- you've grown your brand. There just was something, did you try other avenues and this popped up as a plan B or was this always something you wanted to do? Uh, no, other avenues were attempted, mm-hmm. you know, I, but it was based off, uh, you know, whatever my friends were doing. I didn't have the confidence to yeah. talk about my, I guess, passion, Mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, banking, I worked at a lumber yard, I worked at my mom's spa, I worked everywhere, but uh, you got to kind of go through those jobs to understand that that's not meant for you. Um, I always wanted to do this. I always wanted to do street interviews. The the live streaming kind of came in the middle of the pandemic when I saw that there was a need for parents to watch. That wasn't really necessarily a passion, but I saw that other people, you know, this guy has a passion for it. Mm -hmm. Dudes who's not here now, he has a passion for it. So that kind of came after, but at the very beginning, um, yeah, it was just, it was like my back was against the wall. I was working at a chip factory and I was like 24, 25, digging through my parents' couch for toonies to get a slice at Jesse's. <laughs> I've been there. You know, and you're just like, all right, Justin, what are you doing here? It's, it's, it's either you're doing this or you're going to be working at a chip factory. And Tim Boyce said this for the max years ago at uh, Atlantics. He said it to his team. He goes, pressure's a funny thing. And when pressure comes to you and you have to make a decision on what you're going to do with your life. Mm-hmm you're going to act how you want to act and hopefully good things will happen when you, you actually put focus to something and then high button sports aroused. And well, here we are. look, you've done a great job. You all have. And I'll tell you, uh, I think I know this market pretty good. <clears throat> Excuse me. But growing up, local sports was a big part of the media culture. The back page of the daily news was the start of the sports section. Every radio station had a sports cast on in the morning. It was signature viewing and signature reading. 
the way media has evolved, that kind of sports coverage has sort of been pushed back a little bit. Mm. It's just the way it's just the way it's happened. It's happened in markets all over North America. But there's a void there. There's an opportunity there for and so this high button, you, you guys have come in and you've provided something that people want. Like people really have a passion for local sports. It might not really have a fit in the new media culture from the traditional media culture, mm. but look at non-traditional media growth right now. It's amazing what's happening, and this is a great example of it. So I love it. I love what you're doing, and uh, it's so cool to watch and to see you get bigger, better, stronger month by month is something you all should be pretty proud of. It's really neat. Coming from you, that means a lot. That's Thank awesome, you, Paul. Man. No, yeah. it's, very, it's really, really cool. Really, really cool. I um, And so when you guys are streaming the games this week, you have basically a play-by-play brand. You drop into that, don't you? Like this yeah. is this is, and that's growing as well. Well, it goes back to the point of you know, I, myself technically, I'm not the the a commentator. I don't. Mm-hmm. It's not my passion. But I know that there's so many other kids coming up through NSCC, Dow, King's College that just absolutely love it. And if I can provide a platform for them to do it, why not? It's yeah. you know, it's, how many jobs can you get at Eastlink? How many jobs can you get at you know CTV, TSN, sure. Sportsnet? It's tough. Mm-hmm. So there's so many other positions I think that are out there that people can not people, but just like young professionals. You know, the, they, if I can provide an opportunity for them, you know, minor hockey's everywhere. Minor yeah. sports are everywhere, not just Nova Scotia. So if we can create a platform, I think the business model can work because we can expand. Like we're going to Montreal, the Montreal meltdown in May. That's awesome. We're going up to Boston in June. So there's just, there's a opportunity to expand the brand. We just got to make sure we're focused. Mm-hmm. We don't make any mistakes and hopefully it all works out. Well, well if you, yeah. and, and if you make mistakes, you learn from them. Yeah. But also it's a good example of you have to start somewhere. Yeah. And the person who's doing Bantam AA play-by-play for you may be the future play-by-play person for the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. That's not hyperbole. No. Dan Robertson was doing St. Mary's games for Eastling Cable. And now he, he was the big guy in Montreal. Now he's in Winnipeg. I mean, you start somewhere. You just don't get dropped into those bigger jobs. And the starting somewhere quotient platform is changed. It's not starting somewhere for me was volunteering in a newsroom 30 years ago. Starting somewhere for you means you're at the Sackville Arena at 9 o'clock in the morning streaming a tournament, but you're in the game. Mm. And you understand what's going on around you. You understand the processes. You understand these are the rules of media, and this is how they apply to me. And I'm going to professionally take that, grow with it, and grow with you mm. and i think there's a great opportunity for young people i, I love what you're doing it's really really neat to see i really appreciate that see. really need to see i appreciate that you got to be good at you know all i say to these guys is i know a rink at the end of the day if i was homeless i know how to survive in a rink yeah. i could shower in a rink i could be warm in a rink you know i just know a rink and i like to focus on things that you're good at don't necessarily focus if i'm not good at accounting i'm not going to be an accountant yeah. so i worked hard on the the fundamental values that i knew I knew how to conversate with people yeah. and I just kept working towards there. Yeah. And, and, you know? and that's also, and it, and it touches on the fact that sports is the great shared experience. Yes. You, you are, we talk about the Halifax forum. As soon as you mentioned that to me, I started the smile. You started the smile. You looked at him, you started the smile because everyone goes back to what a great place that is. What a great experience that is. So to take a media product and mesh it through those experiences I think it's amazing. I think you're threading a very, very cool needle. And we're excited for the for the U16 AAA League this week for Provincials and Easter weekend. We're excited to have you on board. It's great. It's good for us. It's good for you. And it's an exciting way for us to wrap up our season. No, we can't wait either. Every time we we every time we're at a tournament, we uh, we're surprised that we make a living every time. We're yeah. like, wow, they want us there. Let's not prove them wrong. Let's be let's be proud of what we're doing and let's make sure the event is is incredible. We do our homework and make sure everything runs smoothly because. We never take an opportunity like this for granted. So we're, we're extremely excited to be there. That's awesome. So we have Fundy from Truro. They're Fundy from Truro slash Pictou County area. Mm. And I think their area also goes up to, to uh, Amherst. You have the Voyagers. You have Sackville from the Sackville Kings. You have the Valley Wildcats. You have Basin Armada. You have the Buccaneers. And there's one other team that's in there. Oh, uh, Moncton. Mm-hmm. So it's a good cross-section of teams with some regional spread. I think the fans will be really impressed by the quality of play. And I hope the other teams aren't that high quality compared to ours, but we'll see how, we'll see how that plays out competitively. So, so, so the schedule is set like with the teams. Yeah. The schedule is set. Okay, so, good. And we're going to be posting that on our social media platforms today. Okay, perfect. And um, the team, the schedule is set and basically starting around midday on Thursday, 
and then all day Friday, Good Friday, most of the day Saturday, and then the bronze medal and gold medal games on Sunday. Yeah. And it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. Coming from the background and organizing the tournament and making sure everything yeah. runs smoothly, what, what, what was the biggest challenge, like making sure everything runs uh, getting people to work, Getting people to work the door. Because there's a, it's funny, oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, when you have 18 games, every parent who's there, and I say getting people to work the door was a challenge, the volunteers have come forward. So it's been, it's, it's a problem that's been solved. But when I looked at the footprint for the tournament, I was like, okay, I'm going to rent the ice. We'll book the referees. We'll book the rooms. Yeah, okay, we get the we'll, we'll get a hospitality room, and maybe we can bring food into it. Maybe not, but yeah. it's a room to congregate. You, know, you check the boxes. We're getting a big schedule made to tape to the wall. We'll do some social media work. We'll have a QR code to scan so you can see all your rosters on your phone. Those things are just little check boxes. But there are 18 games to have people working the admission. That's, you know, it's 12, 15 hours a day. I can't do that. And I can't ask one person to do that. So with the leap of faith for me was that some of the volunteers would step forward. With our team, we have a great parent group from a volunteer standpoint. And I think, as you know, the community in general is pretty good. So that problem has solved itself. But that was my one nervous pressure point leading into it. Yeah. Just that little volunteer gap to make sure all those little jobs get done. Problem solved. Problem yeah. solved, yeah. Coming from a perspective of looking at some of the best run mm -hmm. games, tournaments in the world, World yeah. Series, Super Bowl, yeah. whatever it may, may have been, just going to those events and just seeing how things run yeah. at a world-class level help you with just, I don't know, just running a team. Yeah, for sure, because it get, lets you pull back the lens and say, okay, how does this have to work to be done properly? And then my touchstone was all those big events I've been to, and I'm not going to compare this event to covering March Madness, yeah. which I've covered, but it gives you an idea, the spectrum, the, the super awesome tournaments and the local tournaments. And my, my most recent touchstone was the Ice Jam. I would say from an organizational standpoint, when people walk into the rink, it will probably feel like Ice Jam 2.0. Good games happening, lots of players, lots of parents in the rink in a compressed period of time over, over three or four days. That's probably the best comparable. And if I can do it in a way, I say I, our, our group, if we can do it in a way that we don't screw it up and it's just as good as the ice jam, we're killing it. We're going to be all right. That's we're awesome. Be all right. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you one of the most memorable conversations you've ever had in your career. Actually, what time is it? Okay. You're good. I'm good. What, uh, what was one of the most memorable conversations you've ever had in the, the deep tunnels of an arena with, uh, with maybe a sports figure, an idol, someone that you've really looked up to. Do you, do you remember, recall yeah. a conversation? I, I, it's a good one. I, um, so my, I named my son, my wife and I named my son after Andre Dawson, the baseball player. Okay. I was a big Expos fan. He was my favorite player. So my son is named Dawson. I was at the baseball winter meetings in Anaheim, California in 2004. And Andre Dawson, the real Andre Dawson, was a vice president for the Florida Marlins. And um, he was walking through the hallway and I was goofy fanboy. I was like, that's Andre Dawson. <laughs> You're a journalist. Don't be goofy here. You know, don't don't be a goofy. You can't ask for autographs. You can't do those kind of things. If you're a working member of the media, you can't go up and actually get your picture taken with your with your with with the stars. But I thought, you know what? There's a guy who has no idea I exist. Okay. I'm in Nova Scotia. He's in Miami. He's in. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. He wasn't in at that point. I named my son after him. He's got to know this. So I, I went up to him and I said, um, <clears throat> "Excuse me." I said, excuse me, Mr. Dawson, I, I don't mean to invade your privacy. Uh, I know um, you're here doing work. I'm a member of the media. Um, I just wanted you to know that growing up, I was a huge Expos fan. You were my man. Your poster was on my wall. I loved you in a very special way. And my wife and I named our son after you. And my son at that point was just a year and a half old. So I had the fresh baby thing going on, you know, the novelty of the kid. Yeah. And he looked at me, he's like... <laughs> you named your son after me? And I said, yeah. He goes, what's his name? And I said, well, he's Dawson Gates Hollingsworth. I'm hoping we can call him Little Hawk because <laughs> the, the Andre Dawson nickname was the Hawk. Okay. And he smiled and he goes, he goes, I tell you what, you've, this is one of the nicest things anyone's ever said to me. So the conversation went really well. Okay. And he said, I have a thing I got to do right now. I can't do this right now with you. I'm sorry. So I'm not blowing you off. But in those days, we didn't have phones or, or iPhones. So he pulls out his business card and he writes a, a number on the back of it. And he says, when you get back home, call this number and or send an email to this email address and just remind this person of our conversation. And so I did. 
And about a month or so later, a little package in the mail came with a nice picture and uh, some artifacts from Andre Dawson's career for my son signed. It was just a really classy thing. And it affirmed to me that I named my son after the right guy because he could have been, he could have been a jerk. He could have been a jerk. I mean, you know, let's face it. We, not every, not every athletic hero is necessarily a kind person. And that conversation could have gone two different ways. He was so nice, so gracious. Um, I think about that conversation all the time because it, it connects back to me being eight years old, listening to baseball games on the radio, having a guy's poster on my wall and saying to myself when I was in high school, if I have a son someday, I'm going to name him Dawson. Yeah, I, re- yeah. I remember having that dialogue. Yeah. And so for that conversation to go well, and he didn't overwhelm us with, with souvenirs, but he sent a couple of nice things for my son, which really meant a lot. That's awesome. Yeah, it was really, really cool. That, that's, that's the main conversation. And one other conversation that really jumps out to me, it's funny and it's, it's, it connects to a sad moment. If you go to a Tampa Bay Lightning game, um, Pat Burns in the old days before he passed away uh, and before he got sick, he was done coaching. He was a scout for the New Jersey Devils. He lived in Tampa Bay. Mm. So he would go to all of the Lightning games and sit in the press box and scout every team that came in so he wouldn't travel. So if you went to a Lightning game, you always saw Pat Burns there. I was in town covering Blue Jay spring training I don't know, 2006, 2007, something like that. And I had met Pat Burns at the World Hockey Championship the year before. So he's at the press box sitting 30 feet from me. And I was like, you know what? He's a pretty crusty guy. He might tell me to buzz off, but he was nice to me last year. I'm going to go introduce myself to him. I reintroduce myself to him. So I went up and said, hey, Pat, um, I don't mean to bother you. It's Paul Hollingsworth. Um, met you last year in Halifax at the World Hockey Championship. Um, we did a story on this, this, and this. I interviewed you. Just to remind him who I was. He goes, oh, hey, Paul, how you doing? Have a seat. No. And so I sat down. I watched the third period with him. And he paid me the great compliment of making me like his equal in that moment. I knew nothing compared to him. Like he saw the game. He was taking notes. He was pointing out plays that I wouldn't even see. And I think I know the game pretty well. And he treated me like his BFF. And it was such a nice thing. And then when he passed away, I always thought about that. Uh, I just thought about how good he was to me. And it was a good lesson because a lot of people thought Pat Burns was this crusty, hard-nosed coach who would wear wear with his welcome after two or three years in in an NHL city, move on because he was almost like a difficult persona. Mm. He was a lovely man. He was such a good guy. And uh, he wasn't sick at that point made me feel like a million bucks and like he just he was more keen for me to hang out with him than I was the other way around he was wow. and he was just being gracious it, it meant a lot to him that I took the time to, to introduce myself to him and he paid me back by letting me hang out with him for an hour it was great we took the elevator downstairs after the game together really really nice moment like I love those moments because you get you down to that, that lovely humanity where we're all just a bunch of people doing our jobs, hanging in a building, hanging in a rink in the same environment and no pretension. He didn't put on any airs, didn't think I wasn't good enough for him. Yeah. And um, I think about when he passed, I thought about him a lot and I thought about how good he was to me. I love that. Mm-hmm. Personalities within hockey are yeah. great. Oh, for sure. It's a great story. Yeah, no, they're great. And uh, I mean, you hang around with people, you hang around with those people long enough, you come away with some good stories. Mm-hmm. You know, you hang around Pierre Maguire, you just keep your mouth shut and... You hang around with famous people all day long because he knows everybody. Like that's part of the process too. You get to see some, you don't make mean long-standing relationships, but you share the elevator and you share the taxi cabs with some really interesting people from time to time. It's not bad. That's cool. Not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I live for those moments. Yeah. No, it's pretty cool, man. And they can't take yeah. them they, and they can't take those away from you. Those are yours for life. Like that Pat Burns hour of my life. I tell that story every four or five months. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll tell that story for the rest of my life. He was a good man who treated me well and I look back at him fondly because of it. I um I wanted to ask you just going back to the uh, first story, mm-hmm. uh, where did the love for the Expos come from? My dad, we were my dad was a big baseball guy still is. Okay. Uh he was not we, Jays. No, not the Jays. The Expos. But the Expos people forget, so the Expos in 79 80, so I was born in 69. So in 79 80 81 82 83 they had the third, fourth, fifth best attendance in all of baseball. They they outdrew the Blue Jays those years. Oh yeah, yeah. They were they were Canada's team for a short period of time, 
And they just were the fever passion for the Expos in the early 80s, that team of the 80s. Mm. I just dug in for them and I, I love them. I love that team. And uh, my wow. friends roll their eyes at me because they're not there anymore. So I cheer for a team that no longer exists. My but, grandfather yeah. lived four streets over from the Olympic Stadium. Mm -hmm. And in the summers, my parents would ship me to Montreal mm -hmm. to just get babysat for like months at a time. That's awesome. And we would go to those Expos games, yeah. tickets were two bucks. You yeah. just sit there and they were awful. Yeah. But I used, used to love them. I'd sit there, I'd eat the food. They'd, they'd yeah. be losing 17 to two and yeah. we'd sit there and we'd just watch. It it's was, amazing. Well, yeah. the years, that the, the formative years for me. So from 1979 to 2004, when they left, they had the best record in baseball cumulative. They were always kind of good, but not great. But the last 10 years, they were terrible. They had some pretty tough years those yeah. last 10 years. But from 1979 to 2004, I mean, second place, second place, first place, third place, third place, fifth place, third place, third place, fourth place, third place, second place, second place. That takes you right to 1993. So they were always kind of good, not awful. And then every year they were either in first place in September or there would be a pivotal series where if they can take two to three from the Cardinals this weekend, they'll pull to within three games with two weeks left in the season and then they'd get swept. <laughs> so but they, they just sort of flirt. They, they sort of flirt with you. We, we see you. that. We see that now in the NHL. I mean, look at what's happening. Uh, the Buffalo Sabres, like they if they win their next game they get a chance. Mm -hmm. They have to win six of the last seven games. So they're they're playing meaningful games at a critical time of the year, mm -hmm. and that gives their fans some hope. While the Blue Jays were winning AL East championships and winning World Series titles, the Expos were playing meaningful games in September, breaking my heart, but keeping the dream alive. Yeah. Keeping the dream alive. I, I love yeah, they, they, Yeah, that's sports, though. Yeah, I love They them. play with you. Yeah. Over I, this yeah. conversation, you've been really good with dates. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, uh, I just, they stick in my head. They're, they're just, can't, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I have a photographic memory or what. I, I have no idea. But I just, I, I always tell people, I used to memorize the backs of baseball cards. Um, I remember when I was in grade 12 in history, uh, history class in grade 12 or grade 11, I told my history teacher that I could name every World Series champion at that time from 1986 all the way back to 1904, and I did. Wow. And I don't recall studying it. I it just, just sort of, you read it and you retain it because it, it's the passion project. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it sticks in your brain. And I, I'm the Halifax Lions. I love the story. So Stan Henniger is one of my better friends. Old coach. Yeah. yeah, great guy. We were just talking this past week on text. And I told him last uh, summer we wrote having coffee together at Starbucks. He was visiting from Saskatchewan. And he played on the 83-84 Halifax Lions. And I named every player on the roster by number. Mike Thompson, number two. Brian McDonald, number three. You know, down the line, Robbie no Forbes, way. seven. You know, Kingo, Dave King, number eight. Darren Sonia, number nine. I just, I just had it all. I just had it all burned in but my brain. But you don't study it. It just, no, just kind of. It, it just, I love it so much. It sticks to my head. I think it's probably a useful skill set in my career. Yeah, for obviously, sure. Obviously. Um, or I could have been one of those actuarial scientists and yeah. they need to know numbers too. Um, but I just, I always have that stuff burned in my brain and I don't try to remember it. And, uh, my friends tease me about it sometimes. And I don't say this in any way to show off, no, but no, I do no, know just, that I I've just, noticed it. It's yeah, just, you're good at dates. If yeah, And if you ask me, you know, the 1967 St. Louis Cardinals, I'll give you the starting lineup, 1941 Brooklyn Dodgers. I'll give you the starting lineup. I just like, I just read about these things. I burn it into my brain. I read the heck out of it. And then it sticks with me. I are you, love it. Are you a memorabilia guy? Like, do you I do have, have things? Some, yeah. I do have some things, not as much as you would think, because some people are really into it. I have some some really cool things. Like, I'm a big Brooklyn Dodgers fan in history. So oh. their first year, their breakthrough year was 1941, and then they moved in 1957, except for a couple of years during the war where the talent of Major League Baseball during the Second World War was impacted. The Dodgers were the team, in my mind, in baseball, even though they only won one World Series. So I have some really cool books. I have a little fake model of Ebbets Field um, where they played in Brooklyn. I have those kind of things. Um, some I have a, a for my son a signed autograph Andre Dawson jersey. So we have some of those things around the house. Um, you must have cool. loved that movie. Yeah, it was great. Forty forty two. Oh, it was yeah. great. It was great. It was yeah. great and very well done. Yes, very true to the story. I that's another thing. If you study sports history and you love sports history, you know the correct version of it. Nothing drives me more crazy than when they get it wrong. Because I watched the, the Jackie Robinson movie. They nailed it. They, I thought they, they did an outstanding job. Great actors, great storyline, um, real authentic look at his life. Some stories aren't the same. Yeah. But they don't get the, They don't transfer to Hollywood or to documentaries the same way. So I love it when they get it right. Why did they move to L.A.? Because uh, Walter O'Malley wanted a new stadium. 
they had the second highest attendance in Major League Baseball <clears throat> from 19... 19- 47 to 57. Okay. They were the second most profitable team, I believe, in Major League Baseball from 1940 to 1957. That's in New York. That's in New York. And they were in New York, which was even then still the biggest media market in the world. Hmm. They had a stadium uh, on Flatbush uh, in Brooklyn that was becoming outdated without parking. He wanted to build a new stadium at Atlantic Yards, which is about two miles up the street where the Nets play now. That same same property where where the Brooklyn Nets play. And um, so basically, the city of New York would not grant him the land deal he wanted to build a new ballpark. They wanted him to move out to Shea, where the, where the, where the Mets went on the play, in Flushing okay, Meadow. Okay, yes, yes, yes. He said, we're not the Flushing Meadow Dodgers, we're the Brooklyn Dodgers. L.A. doesn't have a team. They're looking for an expansion team or get a team to move. They offer him a deal. They said, hey, we'll offer you this great piece of land at Chavez Ravine. This is a shortened version of the story. Mm. It's a deal you can't refuse. You're going to get the nicest baseball stadium built there in all of baseball with parking and highway arterial support to make it an accessible ballpark. He took the deal and he left. And when you think of it, think of today, a team in New York. I know. Outdrawing everyone else moving. It would never happen. Like the, the, the LA Dodgers, I like the Dodgers, but they're an accident in history. That sh- should never have happened. You don't move a team that's successful. <clears throat> so I always thought it was a very cynical lesson in knowledge when it comes to how professional sports is operated. But the Dodgers moved. And then, of course, the Angels came, the yeah. A's came, the West, the Western side of baseball opened up. The Giants moved with them, of course. And everything pivoted. And without the Dodgers, the Mets would never exist. So yeah. it's amazing. Everything sort of changed. If you, if you want to do an alternate view of Major League Baseball history, have the Dodgers stay where they are, and everything changes. Everything changes. It's a real interesting look. Yeah. So one of those pivotal, sad moments that always bugs me from a history standpoint, but I love to read about it. I read about the Dodgers moving probably once a week. What? I try to find something new to read every week. Really? I love it that much. That's crazy. That's my baseball history nerd hat, man. Wearing, a, <laughs> wearing, wearing it right now. Wearing it right now. That's great. Yeah. That's uh, Your knowledge on this stuff is, is awesome. It's fun, man. That's it's fun. great. Yeah. My dad would say it's useless knowledge, but it's good knowledge. Absolutely. It's great knowledge. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I love sure. hearing about this stuff. Yeah. Um, last little bit before we let you go. Piece of advice for that young individual trying to uh, not make a name for themselves, but just move ahead in this life and be happy. If you have a dream... Identify it, protect it, hang on to it. Never let anyone tell you you can't accomplish something. I, if somebody tells me they want to be an astronaut, I'm like, you do it, man. What do we need to do, young boy, young girl, to get this done? Tell me about your dreams. Always encourage, never discourage. Always, and, and if you're around somebody who tells you you can't do something, that's a person you should not be around. I, I firmly believe this. I'm in the business of building self-esteem. I'm in the business of encouraging people. And I like to see young people like this young man here do big things and say, no, this is my dream. I'm going after it. What do I need to do to do it? And who do I need to surround myself with to be in the right crowd, the right kind of optimism, the right kind of environment to push forward and never tell some, never listen to somebody who tells you you can't do something. That would be my advice. You're the man, Paul. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. Awesome. I know you're busy. Love your studio. Thank you. It's cool in the gang, man. It looks really good. This is this is a good little setup. I'm proud of you guys. I really am. This Thank is you. Uh, this is uh, everyone has a story. Your story is a good one. I'm proud of you. Uh, we look forward to this weekend. We'll chat uh, going forward. And mm-hmm. everyone listening, make sure to tune in to the U16 Provincial Championships. It'll be up on our website. We'll get some more information yeah. out there as we go. It's gonna be great. Can't wait. All right, we're out. Enjoy your week. Monday. Work hard. Have fun. Peace. Let me
Jim. Yeah, I am just trying to steal you away from him. Oh, baby, if I don't do it, somebody else will. Such a night, sweet confusion under the moonlight. Such a night, such a night, got to steal away. The time seemed right. Couldn't believe my ears. My heart just give a little beat. You told me we could slip away down the dark end of the street. Baby, you came here with my best friend Jim. Here I am, just trying. 